Well, welcome. I echo Caroline's welcome at the beginning of the service. So glad you're here to worship with us, either you're here in person or at home watching us. Uh, today, I want to spend a little bit of time looking at our reading from 1 John. Now, we have been reading from 1 John since Easter, and we'll be, we'll be in this epistle all the way through Pentecost. And uh, the epistle of 1 John is an epistle that we think John wrote late in his life, and one of the great themes of this epistle is the church, the, the fellowship of God. And what John tries to do is he tries to teach us what the church is supposed to look like. You know, this, this fellowship, this community that abides in God, what is our witness to the world? What is the nature of this fellowship? Now, it shouldn't surprise us that very early on in this epistle, John tells us that the defining quality of the church is love. We are defined by love. It's like that song from the 70s. They will know we, we are Christians by our love, by our love. Yes, they, we, they will know we are Christians by our love. So John begins by saying love is our defining quality. But then John begins to describe what this love actually looks like. How do we put it into practice? And that gets us to our reading today, uh, which comes from the third chapter. Now, in our reading, what John tells us, and this is what I want to explore this morning, is that John tells us that the love we have, that we're supposed to have as a community, it's not a simple sentimental feeling. It's not just warm emotions. It's more than that. He says it is a love that lays down its life for one another. So if you would, grab your bulletin. I'm going to, as I often do, kind of walk us through the passage. And if you're at home, uh, the verses will pop up on your screen. But I want to explore this idea of laying down our life for one another. This is how he begins. He says, we know love by this, that he, Jesus, laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for one another. I'll stop there. We are to lay down our lives for one another. Now, if that description doesn't make you gasp, I don't think you've heard it. You know, I've been reflecting on this passage all week as I've been thinking about my sermon. In, in this idea of laying down our lives for one another, it has been mocking me all week as I've um, attempted to love those in my life, my paltry attempts. There's an author named Madeline Engel, and she has a book called The Circle of Quiet. And in that book, she says that love is not an emotion. Rather, she says love is a policy. And John says for us, our policy is to lay down our lives for one another. Now, we might ask, okay, what does that 
What's that look like? And so John continues. Next verse. How does God's love abide in anyone who has the world's goods and sees a brother or sister in need and yet refuses help? So this laying down of one's life, which Jesus does for us, uh, it doesn't, doesn't just mean dying for the other. Rather, really what it's pointing to is living sacrificially for one another. And Jesus' death is a model for us of what living sacrificially for another looks like. John here, for us, he uses the examples of material goods. He talks about uh, money. And yet, it could be our time, our energy, our abilities, anything that we have an abundance of and someone else needs. It's taking what is valuable in your life and sharing it for the sake of another person. That's what it looks like, according to John, to lay down our lives for one another. And then he writes this, little children, let us love not in word or speech, but in truth and action. And by this we will know that we are from the truth and will reassure our hearts before him whenever our hearts condemn us. For God is greater than our hearts and he knows everything. So John here is saying that our hearts will condemn us and we know that. We know the voice that condemns us, that tells us we're not good enough, we're not valuable, that God doesn't really love us in the way that, that we're told unconditionally. And yet, John says, if you feel this way, if you hear this voice condemning you, he says, look at your life. And if you can see that you are blessing them, that you are loving them sacrificially, he says, if you can see that, well, that, that's evidence that will counter that condemning voice. It's not that we earn God's love by living and loving sacrificially, but rather, if we are, that's evidence that God's love is flowing through us. We abide in His love, and we can see it by the way we treat one another. And so John says, take comfort in this. Take comfort if you can see that you are loving sacrificially, because again, that means you're abiding in God's love. There's a writer named uh, Houston Smith. He died in 2016. He was a, a prominent scholar in religious studies. In fact, I remember in high school having to read his book on the, the world religions. But a few years before his death, he wrote this great article uh, about how we experience God's love and how that then changes the way we love others. And Smith was a, a practicing Christian. But I want to read just a, a bit of this article to you. This is what he writes. He says, in the 20th century, we discovered that inside the atom was locked the energy of the sun. And in order to unlock this energy in the atom, it was necessary 
for the atom to be bombarded from the outside. So too, locked in every human being, is a store of love that partakes of the divine, the image of God within us. And it too can only be activated through bombardment, that is, love bombardment. He writes, this process begins in infancy when a mother's initial maternal unilateral smile awakens love in her baby with an answering smile. The process continues into childhood. A loving human being is not produced by exhortations or rules or threats. No, he says, love takes root in children only when it comes to them. And then he quotes Pete Seeger, who says about raising children, pour in the love and it will come out from them. He says, love is a response. Love is always a response. And this is how he concludes the article. He writes, God's love is precisely what the first Christians felt. They had experienced Jesus' love and had become convinced that Jesus was love incarnate. He says, once that love reached them, it could not be stopped, melting the barriers of fear, guilt, and self-centeredness. It poured through them like a torrential stream, heightening their love for others. He says a new quality, Christian love was born. Conventional love, he says, is evoked by lovable qualities in the beloved. But the love people encountered in Christ embraced sinners and outcasts, Samaritans and enemies. It gave not in order to receive in return, but because giving was its very nature. God's love, which we meet in Christ, giving is its very nature. And when we experience that love, according to John, it changes us or rather, it unlocks something within us, and we begin to love in a new way, to love in the way that we were created to love, sacrificially for one another. Last spring, about this time of year, we were all uh, stuck at home because of the pandemic, and so I spent a lot of time on my porch and one day I noticed that there were two birds building a nest in a little bush outside our porch. So over the days, I just kind of watched and observed as these two birds built the nest. But a few days went by, and I didn't see any activity at the nest. And so I thought, well, maybe I'll go, I'll go check this out. Right? I'll, I want to see how the birds are progressing. Did they finish it, or did they decide to go elsewhere? So I walk out, look in the bush, kind of pull back a branch, and right as I did that, this bird took off from the bush. And I could see a little nest in there with four little eggs. And so I, I, I very quickly backed up. Uh, I, didn't, I didn't want to spoil anything and feared I, I might have spoiled something, and so headed back to the porch. So a few days go by, and again, I don't see any activity at the bush. 
and I'm, I'm worried now that I did something, like I messed this up. So I thought, well, I better go check again, right? <laughs> Just to make sure. So I go outside, and this is what happened. I come, and I look, and I can't, I can't find the little thing. Uh, so I'm, I'm trying to pull back the branches, when all of a sudden, I see the glistening of the bird's eye. We were that close, and the bird is not moving. We are just looking at one another, and we're probably this far away. And I'm thinking, what devotion, what courage for the sake of her offspring. Now, I know that the social biologists will have their own explanations, but I thought, this is the imprint of its maker. And if a small bird is so devoted to its offspring, how much more should we be devoted to one another? If a small bird will not move when some six-foot monster approaches its young, how much more should we be willing to lay down our lives for one another? And if that bird can begin to imitate the creator of heaven and earth, how much more should we imitate and give evidence of this wonderful policy that we love one another, that we lay down our lives for one another? I recently came across a book in which the author talks about the one another principle. And, and what he argues is that this one another principle, that it shows up all throughout the New Testament, that it appears over and over again, just like in our reading, it said love one another. And so what this author did is he, he made a list of all the times that the one another principle shows up in the New Testament to describe this community, the church. And so I wrote a few of those down. Here, here they are. We are to be at peace with one another. We are to be devoted to one another. We are to be kind to one another. We are to be tender-hearted to one another. Forgive one another. Submit to one another. Be hospitable to one another. Accept one another. Admonish one another. Care for one another. Show patience to one another. Comfort. Encourage. Build up. Seek the good of one another. Confess our sins to one another. Pray for one another. Serve one another. Be humble towards one another. Greet one another with a kiss or maybe a fist bump these days. And don't lie to one another. Don't complain to one another about one another. Don't be boastful to one another. Don't devour one another. You see, what we are doing here, it, it is so relational. Christianity is so deeply communal because God is communal. We are beings in relationship. 
And so what John is saying is that the policy of heaven is to be the policy here on earth, namely that we love one another, that we lay down our lives for one another. This, according to John, is what it looks like to abide in God. And so here's my question, and I will, I will end with this. What would it look like at St. George's if we did this, if we had this policy to lay down our lives for one another? Right? Would, it, would it free us from worry? Would it open us up if we knew that at the end of the day, whatever happened, this community would be there for us? What would it look like if we enacted here the policy of heaven? Little children, let us love not in word or speech, but in truth and action. And by this we will know that we are from the truth. Amen.